that's a cool song. That's a cool song. It's my Robert De Niro. That's a cool song. Well, good morning. It's, a, it's great to be here with you guys this morning. And uh, we're getting it in. Um, are there any Chiefs fans left? <laughs> this is going to tie in. I'm not just insulting you. As a Broncos fan, we are deeply grieving, okay? Yes, yeah, please. Yeah, we're going to create a circle around Carly so no one can say anything mean to her for her jersey this morning. Um, but um, isn't there something called, like, Chiefs Kingdom? I've seen that on shirts, and it's like a, it's a thing, right? It's a thing, right? What is, can someone kind of break that down for us a little bit? What is, what is the Chiefs Kingdom? Can you, someone just, maybe real quick. Well, Native American, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a, all right. Yeah, I know a podcast for that one, Tim. Um, what does that mean, though? Where is, we're talking about the NFL team, Chiefs. Where is the Chiefs kingdom? Is it Kansas City? So no one here is part of that. What's that? Wherever there's a Chiefs fan, there's Chiefs kingdom. So you could be in Honolulu. And there could be Chiefs Kingdom there. You could be in Japan. Yeah? Yeah, you already get that. And I'm looking at Clay, and Clay's like, I see what Ethan's doing here. What is God's kingdom, and where is God's kingdom? Is there a border or boundary to it? No. No. It's wherever God reigns over human hearts and lives is where his kingdom is. And I think that's important. Because especially here, as we've been reading Luke 17 through 18 this week, we've been talking about how Jesus, how God has been restoring the world and still is today. It's important for us to understand kingdom. Kingdom. There's, there's very few phrases that are repeated more often in the Gospel of Luke than the kingdom of God. And we could just read it over and over and over, and we can just start to ignore it, be lullabied to sleep by this term. But we got to think about it. Got to understand what it means. I hope uh, that's a helpful analogy, uh, but it's more than that. It is, uh, thank you, God, that is more than Chief's kingdom. It is something so much greater. Um, there's this uh, uh, scholar, N.T. Wright. Um, he, he made this. He says this about God's kingdom. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is about. I hope you picked up on that, because that's going to kind of frame this morning's message uh, out of Luke. Luke 17 through 18. Um, if you want a title, if you need a title, Kingdom Come. There you go. Kingdom come. This is about kingdom come. You know, as Jesus worked his ministry, he encountered people who who seemed to kind of either look to the future coming of God's kingdom in ways they thought it was going to come, hoped it would come, or they clung to ways of the world. Both groups missed out. On God's kingdom among them. And that's something we learn as we read this week. They missed out on God's kingdom among them, and they failed to see Jesus as Messiah. We too, we 
too, can miss out when we fail to see God's kingdom among us. Jesus is still restoring the world by helping people to see God's kingdom in their midst and living faithfully in the present. So how do people fail to see God's kingdom among them? That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at some scenarios here in Luke 17 and 18. What got in the way for them? And then what gets in the way for us today? How do we see God's kingdom in the present, in the moment? All right. You ready for this? Let's do this. First, the first handle this morning was blind. Was blind. And you maybe already know the second handle, but let's wait for that. But what's we we it's always necessary. I'm always gonna advocate it's necessary. We gotta contextualize, we gotta re- recap real quick. So what's going on before we just jump into Luke 17 and 18? Jesus has been approaching Jerusalem. What everyone's been anticipating, that's what the Messiah figure is supposed to do, right? He's teaching his disciples along the way. He's responding to the rejection of the religious elite around him. Um, Following the parables that are coming out of Luke 15 and 16 that we looked at last week, um, in chapter 16, Jesus addresses the base, one of the bases for the Pharisees' lack of faith. And what was, what was one of the things they clung to that Jesus just went all in on and was breaking apart? Chapter 16. What was their love of? What did they have a love of? Money, wealth, mammon, right? The term mammon, which is just stuff. More than just currency, it's stuff. And then here in 17 and 18, faith in God really is put on center stage. Faith talk from Jesus. Mainly, there seems to be even a kind of even a tilt there, faith in God's present workings. There's some very specific things Jesus is referencing. Jesus begins to compare those who can see God's kingdom versus those who refuse to see it, right? Does that sound a little bit about what you uh, read this week? Hopefully, yes. Okay, let's dive in. Let's jump in here. Was blind. Um, Luke 17. I make the same mistake every week. The Bible I do my study out of, I don't use. You know what I mean? And so I'm like fumbling around in a different Bible. I need to, I need to fix that. All right, Luke 17. We're going to read a passage and kind of break it down as we go a little bit. In 17, uh, chapter 17, starting in verse 20 talking about the coming of the kingdom of God. It says, Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied. First, we, why, why do they care? Why do they want to know? What's at stake for the Pharisees? Where are they at currently in terms of God's story? Are they lined up? When is this going to happen so that I can, we can maneuver ourselves? I can, we can wait until the right time and then change things around, right? <laughs> Lord, Lord, <laughs> right? You catching that? Jesus replies, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, there it is, or here it is, or there it is, whatever, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Um, I think NIV fumbles here a little bit, and it says it's in you, right? But that's if you don't understand that, it doesn't mean inside of you. Like It just means it's among you. The kingdom of God is all around you, right? Then he said to his disciples, 
the time is coming when you will long to see one of the one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Don't go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. So just as people were unresponsive in the days of Noah, that's how it was with Jesus. That's how it is today. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. Work, work, produce, produce. But this, but the day Lot left Saddam, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. As people were unaware in Saddam. So they are in Jesus' time and still are today. It will, be, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On the day no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for any... Why, why is that? That's interesting. Don't go get your stuff. Why? What's the human tendency? I've got to get my go bag, right? Got to get my stuff. Take what you can. Likewise, no one will go in the field to go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. We, know, we remember what happened, right? Yes. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. That word for life there is not just your physical life. It's talking about an inner life, a transcendent life, your spiritual life, physical and spiritual life. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, and one will be taken, and the other left. And two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, when there is a dead body, their, vulture, their vultures will gather. Now, now, this has less to do with Kirk Cameron. If you get the reference, you get the reference. <laughs> left behind. This has more to do with the fact that most people aren't thinking about this stuff. Most people are in survival mode. I gotta work, I gotta get mine. They're not gonna be ready. That's what makes Jesus' followers different. There's a saying, uh, if, you stay if you stay ready, you don't have to, right? Yeah, get ready, yeah. Most people go about their whole lives in survival mode, not concerned with greater love, God, uh, or judgment that comes. Have you ever uh, been in, you know, I'll just say this, it's funny. Marissa and I were hiking a couple weekends ago, and it wasn't even that long of a hike, but there was a lot of turkey vultures, and they were circling above us, like a group of them. We're like, do we look that bad right now? <laughs> That's just like vultures are like circling over us. But that little snippet right there is kind of a weird thing. We're like, that's a weird Jesus-ism. What, what does he mean? It means that it's going to be obvious. It's going to be undeniable, like, like lightning. It's just undeniable, right? But let's think about that. The, the whole point of this here is people are going to miss out because they're not thinking about the right things. Why did people fail to see God's kingdom? Among them, he says, it's right in front of you. It's among you. Where is it? I can't point to it. It's right here. 
But what, think about what they were expecting. A king, a nation with boundaries and, and, and an army and physical things, right? Yes, and the things that come with having an earthly kingdom. That's what they were looking for. What are we looking for? Can we get pulled back into that trap in our day and age? Now, the best interpreter of Scripture is more Scripture, right? So let's do that. Why do people fail to see God's kingdom among them? Here in Luke 18, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize some of these uh, vignettes, these uh, stories here, um, because I, I'm going on the presumption that we've read this. So, um, Luke 18, starting in 18, this section here about the rich ruler. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. The rich ruler. The rich ruler. What's his downfall? Non-rhetorically. Why, why can't he follow Jesus? Why doesn't he follow Jesus? He's worried about his stuff. Can't it get better? He doesn't want to give up his stuff. His heart is consumed. You know, the, the, and that's the famous line a lot of us have probably heard. It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven, right? But why is that? Because you won't drop the stuff. It's like the kid that puts their hand in the cookie jar to grab the and then you can't pull it out. I can't get my hand out. You got to let go. <laughs> I don't want to let go. I want the cookie. Well, then your hand's not coming out. Yeah. Right? His heart, this rich young ruler. And what was the thing he said? But I followed the rules. But I followed the rules. What does Jesus say? Yeah, there's something deeper underlying all of these rules that you missed out on. His heart was consumed by mammon, materialism. Storing up stuff for self. I think this is interesting. Lucas, he's got to be doing something cool here and writing it in this order. He's calling back to Jesus in uh, Luke 16 when he's putting the, the Pharisee system of wealth on blast. He's, t- he's tying this in. This is all, I know we're talking about Luke 17 and 18 this morning, but you guys have picked up on this point. Like it's all woven together, right? Yeah. We can't not. Right. Yeah. So why do people fail to see God's kingdom among them? Attachment. Attachment to, to things, attachment to survival. Luke 17, you with me? Yep. Sweet. Luke 17, in, in verse 11 through 19, we see this situation where there's 10 men with leprosy, and one of them is different, right? They all have leprosy. They're all together. They all ask for healing, and don't they all receive healing? Right. What do nine of them do? They go about their way. One guy's different. He's a Samaritan, which means he's an outcast. So those other guys, after they're healed, and then they go to the, and then they go to the priest, because you go to the priest after you've already, your condition's gone, right? So, so they go to the priest, and then they can go back and assimilate back into society, yes? Those nine, because they're, they're Jews. But the Samaritan... Can he assimilate back in? He's still an outsider. He picks up on this. He picks up on this. The others, those nine were focused uh, on self, and it prevented them from seeing Jesus as Messiah. They were ready to get back to normal. Oof. Luke 18, in verse 9 through 14, it talks about the prayer of the Pharisees and the tax collectors. Remember this one? Yeah. Yeah. What was the Pharisee? What was his prayer? 
thank you, God. Not like them, 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 them. This guy was glorifying himself more than he was God. The Pharisee was focused on comparison and status. See, God, please remember, I'm not like these people. Therefore, since I'm of this status, can you please? But what about the tax collector, the sinner, right? We fail to see and realize God's kingdom when we're preoccupied building our own kingdom, our own empire. There's two parallels, or there's two narratives that run parallel um, in, in, in human history. The kingdom of God and the empire of man. And this isn't a new topic. This is something we've talked about for a long, long time now. But this is, this is one of those things, if you fail to pick up on this, if you fail to see this in your own hearts, you're not going to experience the fullness of God's kingdom. I know that's a very definite thing, but it's very, that's what Jesus is saying here, right? Humanity's chronic skepticism of other people, this tendency we feel, well, we got to survive, we've got to protect, we've got to build tribes, people that are like us, that can protect us. There's just this innate urge to, I got I to gotta, I gotta survive. You know, I, I had this, this guy I know, and every time I said, hey, man, what are you doing? He goes, surviving. Every time for years, I guarantee if I asked him today, he would say the same thing. Have you ever responded that way? I have. How are you doing? Getting through. I'm all right. It's like when someone's saying, how are you doing? What we hear is like, what is your level of survival? today like <laughs> well all right I'm a six out of ten why do we default to that thinking <laughs> there is something and, and and the Bible's been saying this all along that parallel that narrative is in the Bible God's kingdom God's story and then mankind's story they're trying to write and and it doesn't work right that's that's what this is and Science is getting to the point. <laughs> We're figuring these things out. The reptilian brain. How do you hack your reptilian brain to deny these survival instincts? And it's kind of cool stuff, or it's interesting. And you're like, okay, 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 I'm learning some things here. But the Bible has been talking about this for thousands of years. God's been telling us the whole time. You just got to trust. And all this cool stuff, these cool tricks we do, science, whatever, TED Talk. They're all saying, they're all pointing back to that unknowingly. They're pointing back to God. Oh my goodness. It is undeniable that we default to a survival mode as people. Uh, to, to quote another theologian from the UK, um, C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Great Divorce, this is one of my favorites. Um, <clears throat> he says, there are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul 
that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find, those who knock it, knock it is opened. God loves us so much that he never stops us from choosing to build our own empires up. That's one of the hardest things. That's how much he loves us. He ultimately knows they're not going to flourish because they cannot flourish because they don't have his spirit. And yet his love is never more than arm's length away. Always right there, no matter how many times. What are the things that, this, look, we're just going deep right for this question right here, okay? Not no surface level questions, we're just going in. What are the things that put you into survival mode or empire building mode? What are those things? This isn't a do you do this thing, because the fact is we all do it. We're skipping that question. Question two, what are the things that put you into that mode? And we have our defaults, you know, the ways that we were brought up. Um, our schema, if you want to use like a cool psychology word, our schema. Um, but that's a real thing. These, these things we default to thinking. Imagine going your whole life never being aware of those things. Wait, most people do. Yeah. Most people do. Difficult situations and stress, do those put you into a survival mode, into a, you got to get yours. A fear, FOMO, <laughs> FOMO. This little kitschy term, I didn't, I've like never heard of it until I started, uh, um, anyways, FOMO. What does that mean? <laughs> fear of missing out. All right, long story short, I saved up some fun money from working extra hours last year, and I put it into some stocks, because I'd never done that before, and I lost a lot of it. But fear of missing out, right? I learned that lesson, the fear of missing out. I allowed myself to do that. But difficult situations, and, and this isn't difficult situations, stress, these can put us to a position, not just biologically, but emotionally. Well, that's all tied together, right? To go into survival mode. Conflict. I've got to protect myself. Trauma where you are just, you're stuck. You're stuck in that because of something that happened to you. It's, um, we do weird stuff, and it's not always very overt. And, and Jesus in these stories and parables uses very extreme examples, right? And they're just very obvious. That's the point. But we can be much more subtle. I, I do weird stuff to build my empire. It doesn't even make sense. It's not even going to stand. Like, there's no way I'm ever going to be a fortune top nothing. You know what I mean? So, so, I don't know if this will resonate with you at all. A pattern I've noticed in my life, in my heart, is whenever I go through some sort of stress, a big stress in my life, whether it's been loss, whether it's been conflict, or whatever it is, I have this tendency to want to go spend a lot of money. I'm just being honest. <laughs> And, and I was talking with Marissa about it the other day because it's, it's actually happening right now. It's like still happening. And like I just traced my life back. I'm like, oh, yeah, after this happened, I went and I bought this. And after this happened, I went and I spent a bunch of money at Best Buy. I don't have a Best Buy credit card anymore. That was a long time ago. But, man, that was dangerous. And I started to think, 
why do I do those things? How come when I'm dealing with something major in my life, I want to go spend a, a bunch of money? It's comfort. Well, at least I have money to go get this thing. And maybe this thing will bring me some joy, some happiness. Let me just kind of mammon, make myself feel better. It used to be a lot of video games. Still, sometimes it still, it still is. When I deal with a lot of conflict or stress, I just I get on the Xbox, and I just don't want to think. I just want to go into this fantasy land. I don't want to think about it. Right? It's such a weird thing, and I know, and it's, it's like with weird stuff like video games, what? Cars, like, cars, like, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, not even cool cars. I can't afford a cool car. Like, it's like, let me look at used cars on Facebook Marketplace. That'll make me feel better. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being brutally honest, and it just probably makes no sense to you guys. We do weird stuff, and it doesn't even make sense. You stand back, and it just doesn't even make sense. We talked about that. We're going to gross you guys out right now. We talked about a mid midweek. In case you forgot this imagery, Bear Grylls. All right, there we go. I just triggered it. You guys watched uh, Survivor Man ever? Okay. What is that guy willing to do to survive? He, and he shows it, and they show it on like national television, international, right? Um, drinking your own urine to survive. I'm like, people have a water bottle. The cameraman has one there. <laughs> Just ask for some water. It's not that big a deal. Like, but he's done it more than once. Anyways, I'm like, this guy almost goes out of his way. What's going on here? Is that what it looks like to God for us when we go into survival mode? Like, we're just down here doing these weird things. And he's like, that's just not how I made you. I just didn't make you that way. You don't have to. What is Matthew 5 all about and 6? Trusting in God, not worrying, right? Not worrying. Trusting in God's provision. There's a whole lot I could, we could talk about right now. The Bible is chock full of trusting in God. There's a reason God's people were a desert people, because in the desert, you have to trust in him. We lose something when we don't experience that. We can't even, we can get it on a mental level maybe, but we just can't get it on an experiential level. I got a little off notes there. Hopefully that made sense. I trust in the Spirit speaking to somebody. God loves us so much, he's not going to stop us from building our own empires because he knows they're not going to last. What are the things that put you into survival mode or empire mode? So, first handle was blind. Want to take a shot at the second? But now I see. <laughs> but now I see. And I wouldn't say we see, but I did want to emphasize there's some hard individual work at stake here. Okay. Let's go to uh, Luke 18, verse 35. A blind beggar receives his sight. I remember when we went through Mark, we, we went through a very similar story. And uh, wow. So here we're going to kind of revisit that. <clears throat> As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road and he cried. <laughs> you did that too when you read it this week. Don't lie. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, 
Not Jesus master, which is kind of a generic term, or Lord, which could even be a generic term. Jesus son of David, that's Messiah language. Have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me, please. Jesus stopped, ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? It's just, why would you even ask that, Jesus? Can't you tell? He's given this guy the opportunity to, to share his heart. Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus. Don't miss that part. Praising God. When all the people saw it, they they too praised God. What's going on here? There's a bit of irony happening here. Because, like, all through Luke, like, Jesus is talking to people that just don't seem to get it and can't see him as the Messiah. You know who does see him as a Messiah? People on the outside. You know who does see him as a Messiah? A blind guy. Hmm. Should we listen up to that a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. What's that tell you about what sight does to our faith? (laughs) Just think about that for a minute. We get so focused and hung up on what we can see. Things don't look the way they're supposed to be looking. <laughs> I don't think we, we should probably hear more with our ears and focus on less what we see with our eyes. Does that make sense? Hear Jesus more? Worried about what you see less? Can you see that mustard seed in the ground? My mind's going crazy, guys. There's so much stuff happening here. I hope it is for you too. The one who sees Jesus as Messiah is a blind man. Instead of clinging to merit, which what is a pattern we see with those religious crowds, whenever they interact with Jesus, they're like, well, I've done this, Jesus. I have followed the law. I have done this. I'm not like them. What does this guy say? He just simply calls out for mercy. He knows who he is. His response is to follow Jesus. Our position in life often gives us a disposition to God's kingdom. What do I, okay, and I know people are like, whoa, Ethan, but listen, listen. It's no wonder that those who have no shot in their own society are more open to God's kingdom than those who have a seat at the table. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Just in case you don't, that didn't quite have the sound I wanted. There we go. Uh, Pew Research is a research group. They collect a lot of data, and they do a lot of stuff with even, like, religion. Specifically, they seem to do a lot of that, culture and religion and economics and stuff like that. They, they released some data in the last five years. There's some stuff that's super interesting you find. Here's some, here's some things, some trends they found. And this is looking specifically in the American church. Lower class minorities attend church in higher proportions. Think about that. I was talking to a guy who's done a lot of research here locally in Wichita. What is the least religious demographic in Wichita? He's like, dude, it's the north part of town. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, it's the rich, affluent, Caucasian people. And I'm like, why? He goes, they don't need God. I'm like, oh, snap. 
Wow. And that hit home. I mean, that's talking about Wichita. If you live in the northeast side, I'm not, you know, don't take that personal. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I don't know if the microphone picked that up for the stream, huh? <laughs> You know, some other things they found, other trends they found. The more educated you were in terms of like degrees, and the more upper class you were economically, were more likely to research and change their church attendance, like switching congregations. Hmm, why is that? They, one of the trends they found was the higher education and, and also the more affluent people tended to go, well, I'll just use a different term, church shopping more. Lower class or, or more poor people rely on the church more for social connections, and they pursue congregations that focus more on volunteering. Let's, let's, let's just sit on that for a minute. Our position in life often gives us a disposition to God's kingdom. Now, it doesn't determine whether you get to be part of it or not, but you've got, we've, got, we've got to be aware of these things. We've got to be aware of these things. We can ignore these things no longer as disciples. If, we call, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, we've got to think about these things. So how do we choose to see God's kingdom in the present? How do we do that? We're going to revisit those same vignettes real quick. Luke 18, 18, the rich ruler. We can learn something from that. How do we see God's kingdom in the present? Release. Let go. Let go of the cookie in the cookie jar. We have such an attachment to material things. It is ridiculous. I am crazy. Garage is crazy. My wants are ridiculous. We've got to release our attachment to material things. The pursuit of wealth. The pursuit of wealth. What did Jesus say about their currency? Whose face is on it? Caesar. What did he say? You know... You know, I think I don't need to say anything else. I think, that's, I think that hits us. It drives so much the division, this fear of not having. Luke 17, 11, that, that grateful Samaritan who got healed of leprosy and he came back. It's more than adherence to rules. He slowed down and he experienced getting to be with the Messiah. I think we need to slow down and experience God a little bit. Not be in a get back to normal. I'm healed, priest said I'm cool, I'm back in action, doing what I do. We need to slow down and experience God. Don't, don't rush to get to the back into normal mentality. And I think that especially speaks to us um, in, in, in current times. I don't, you might be sick of hearing pandemic, but that's just a part of life at this point. It's undeniable. How much of a rush and push was there to get back to normal? I think I even said it a lot, more often than I really ought to. Luke 18, 9, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Stop comparing yourself to others. Stop it. Please stop. God created you to be you. Right. 
if you've done something, you've done something. You are who you are. It's not about your status. God cares about your heart. Glorify God. Don't be concerned with glorifying yourself. How do we choose to see God's kingdom in the present? We've got to do these things. We've got to do these things to be able to see. Okay, one more C.S. Lewis quote. Is that okay? If we insist on keeping hell or even earth, we shall not see heaven. If we accept if we accept heaven, we shall not be able to retain even the smallest and most intimate souvenirs of hell. What does that mean here? Let's connect some dots. Human empire on earth is hell on earth. Come sit in my history class with me at some time. Human empire on earth is hell on earth. It's devoid of God. It's full of self-interest and corruption and genocide and survival. God's kingdom on earth is heaven on earth. God ruling through his people via the church who are full of his spirit. Living faithfully in the present doesn't take great faith God. It just takes a little faith in a great God. Maybe the size of a mustard seed, perhaps. Our merits and our efforts don't help us to see what we can gather, how much you have on Robin Hood or crypto, or what car you have, or whether you rent or own, or whether you have neither. Those things don't help you to see God's kingdom anymore. It all comes down to trusting in God over ourselves. So what specifically gets in the way of you experiencing God's kingdom in the present? We sing a lot of songs about the future, going to heaven one day. But do you realize what the church is here for? To bring heaven to earth? That you are a part of that now? Are we missing out on that in the present? What specifically for you gets in the way? Where possibly, if you sat some time and just thought about this, where around you right now might you be missing out on God's kingdom? Because you won't let go. Or you got your blindfold on. There's opportunities all around us. What might you be missing out on? What opportunities to love people, to love God, to be healed. Big question, important question. Why does the world need Christians who live faithfully in the present? Big questions, hopefully they're provoking you to a place of digging a little bit. The bottom line, God's spirit works through the church today. People, though, can still miss out on God's kingdom for the same reason they did in Jesus' time. Jesus' words guide us to a place to see and experience God's kingdom if we choose to listen. 
Therefore, we've got to get rid of our empire building and survival techniques. We've got to trust in God. Amen? Amen. For our time of communion, um, you can turn with me to John 14 if you'd like, or you can listen up. But here, Jesus' hope for us, some of his, in the, at least recorded in the book of John, some of his final teachings to his disciples, this is one of the things he has to say. One of his hopes for, one of his hopes for us is to trust in the Spirit's guidance, just as he did. And as you listen to this passage, or maybe as you follow along, reflect on these words. Reflect on Jesus' heart. Reflect on what things could be like if you followed the Spirit's guidance. Starting verse 15, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas said, But Lord, why do you, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not give, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's go to God. Let's pray and we'll take communion together. Father, thank you for these words of Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah and we gather here in his name. We believe that. We proclaim that. God, help us to continue to trust that and trust in you. We, God, are a people that you've created to not fear, but to love, to listen to your teaching. We're thankful. We're so thankful for what you've done, God. We're thankful for your kingdom come. We're reminded of the words of Jesus as he taught his disciples, Father. For kingdom come, it's here now, God. For your will to be done, Father, and not our own, not our own empires, not our own ways. Here on earth, Father, as it is in your presence. We pray that this morning. 
We pray for the conversations this week. We pray for whatever your spirit is poking and prodding at us, molding us, transforming us, shaping us. God, please continue to do that. We know you won't stop as long as we believe and trust in you. You are a great God. We have faith in you alone. It's in Jesus' holy name that we get to pray to you and we thank you. Amen.